Good morning, everyone. This is Penelope Skuman, and I'm here again with Estelle Koch, intuitive soul coach and spiritual teacher. Estelle, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me and inviting me to come and chat to you. Wonderful. So today we want to focus on the indigo children or the millennials, as they are also called by some people. There's a lot of misunderstanding with regards to how to deal with and um, and understand the newer generation that has come into our lives. They are so different to any other people that have walked this earth, if that makes sense at all. Is there... Can, can you give us a brief description about who are these indigos or the millennials? And especially for parents, how would they go about to understand them and deal with them in their daily lives? Yes, indigos, millennials, call them what we want to. They are some of the most beautiful, pure souls that I've had the pleasure of encountering. We speak about the indigos really as indigo children, how they've been referred to. And these are children or people who have come into the earth from the mid-1980s to early 1990s. That was the time when we really started seeing these new beings come in and start working amongst us. I remember at that time... In the early 90s, people saying to me, these children are going to change the world. They started changing the world from the time they were born because they were different from the time they were born. And already from that time on, their parents had to find new ways of parenting. And simply by virtue of that, they have already changed the world. When we speak of the millennials, those are really the indigos that have grown up and are now coming into adulthood, young adults, people that we are seeing already making a very big impact on the world. In terms of what the indigos as such means, what does that refer to? I know that there are many people in the spiritual world who says that they have indigo auras. I'm not very good at seeing auras. Um, Visually, I do struggle a little bit with seeing things and seeing people and seeing auras, but I certainly perceive them. I certainly feel them, and indigo has never been a color for me that describes them. For me, when I think of them, when I encounter them, what I see is a lot of light. I do, however, know that they have entered the world on the indigo ray. And there are various rays that have been um, important in the evolution of the planet. But that is um, that's quite a, an intricate topic and one that is certainly not going to be entered into here today. Having said all of that, we can have a look at these children when they started coming in. What were the differences? What were the characteristics that we saw with them? First and foremost, they are very, very sensitive. As babies coming in, as young children, they're very sensitive, 
not only to people and environments, but also to their food. They respond very quickly in either a positive or a negative way to food. So you will have found that many of these children, when they were born, had allergies to mother's milk. Some had allergies to cow's milk. Some even had allergies to soy milk. So there were a lot of parents in those years scrambling to find, for instance, decent soy milk or uh, goat's milk or whatever it was that they needed. Today the market is flooded with all these alternatives that these souls are so much more comfortable with. But when we started seeing them come in, it was a very different story. So many of them have very particular likes and dislikes in terms of food. And when you go and look at various um, disciplines or beliefs, belief systems, you will find that they're very much aligned with that. Um, I've known quite a few of the children, for instance, who do not like green vegetables, um, various other things, and I'm not going to go into detail on the particulars of that, but where children who have come to me struggling to find answers and the parents find somebody who teach, teaches um, different philosophies which also ascribes to different diets and the children start changing because of the way they're being treated, what they're being fed, their body types in many cases and it just fits with them. A lot of the children respond very poorly to allopathic medicine whereas homeopathic medicine or natural medicines like the flower remedies for instance is the best possible thing. They immediately respond and have very good feedback to that. So they are very sensitive in terms of their food, they're sensitive also in terms of people. They're very quick to say I do not like this person or they will meet somebody and you will immediate, immediately have a sense of them really trusting that person. Um, and being at home with a person, you can trust them. Their intuition in terms of people and people who can be trusted or not trusted is very, very good. The same thing with environment. They will walk into a place and tell you that they do not feel comfortable in a specific home or in a specific place. Trust their intuition. They understand and they are this sensitive because they are so intuitive. Gifts of intuition, which I have said in various podcasts, is something that you are born with. It is true. Everybody's born with them. But we don't all embrace them and develop them. So if it's a gift of intuition that those of us who have chosen to work with our gifts of intuition and develop them, it's slightly different to these children because for them, it is there. They are aware of energies that are in the in the dark, so to speak. Because in the dark, they are more in tune with higher vibrations and higher frequencies. So they pick up on this a lot easier. Um, for this reason, many of them are afraid of the dark. Even as adults, they will still, you will find they will still sleep with the light on or have a light on somewhere in their home. Otherwise, they find it very difficult because they pick up on the energies when it's that cold and, 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 um, 
cold, when it's that dark and quiet, um, because all the external senses are switched off. So in that moment, the internal senses are heightened and switched on. So they become much more aware of all the energies around them. All of this leads to them also their intuitive nature because they don't have intuitive gifts. They have an intuitive nature, which is why people will say to you that they are ADD or ADHD. You know, when we meditate, if you get used to the idea of meditating and you come out of a meditation, it feels like all your senses are heightened because you've sat down, you've been focused, you've really tuned in. These children seem to go through life in that state. So where you and I hear white noise that we don't pay attention to, well, actually, Penny, are you not maybe one of the millennials? When I say you and I, I may actually mean myself as opposed to you. Um, but the younger generation, this is something that is there. For me, it's a white noise. I'm not even aware of it. But these people, because they are so sensitive and so in tune, for them, something that is white noise is not white noise. It's something that is in their consciousness. And that is why they appear to be ADD. It's not that they cannot focus. It's that there's so much coming at them. They hear it so much more clearly than those of us who have not been trained to hear things that clearly. Or those of us who have learned to make the time available to hear things more clearly or feel things more clearly. For them, they're highly attuned to sounds, to sights, to smells, to all the senses, which is one of the reasons why they appear ADD. Because their attention does go everywhere, but that is because the impulse and the input around them is so much more, if that makes sense. Sense to it you. makes a lot, lot of sense. So, yes, that that spiritual and intuitive connection that they have also means that they have information on tap. They are connected to a wise energy, to their soul's energy. Many of us have learned to shut that down. Many of us have learned to shut down our intuition. If we open up our intuition, we work with it, and we allow the information to flow, we would have so many more answers at our fingertips. And it is for this reason that these young people, children at the age of six or eight, appear as old souls, wise old souls. I've known a mother going through a divorce being told by her eight-year-old, Mom, why are you worried that you are going to lose Dad? He's never belonged to you. And the mother stands there astounded because where does this child come from? How does this child know something that she knows but does not want to acknowledge and has certainly never spoken about? In my very own life, um, I have experienced my son at the age of six, anything from the age of six, eight, ten, where I would say something but do the opposite and he would pull me up by my bootstraps and say to me, Mom, you are not walking your talk. 
He has never hesitated calling me on anything that I do or say that is not in alignment with who I choose to or profess to be. So these children are very straightforward. They, they've not learnt to have all the socially acceptable filters that we have. Yeah, so they, they come across as, as being brash. They come across as being brash. They come across as um, being precocious in a lot of ways. But they're just speaking their truth as they see it. And the truth that they see is coming from a place of pure honesty, not from behind the veils and the masks of social acceptance. Or judgment of that sort. Or judgment. Absolutely not. They um, they also, um, I think one of the things that keeps us most real is nature and animals. You cannot lie to an animal. An animal intuitively and instinctively knows. And these children are so connected to nature. Many, many, many of them understand, they communicate with animals in ways that we have forgotten. And there are many people now who offer courses in animal communication and this kind of thing. And I, I smile to myself because I'm thinking, how sad is it, how very wonderful it is on the one hand, but how sad is it that we have moved so far away from what is nature and natural and right that we have to be attending courses to learn how to be real in the world mm-hmm. again. These children have that gift. They, they, they are just so connected to where they should be. They understand the animals. The animals understand them. And they also understand that if you are not in your truth, the animals will not honor you. Uh, there is a tale about children who went to a workshop for children over the holiday where they were going to do equine work, work with the horses, um, groom the horses, spend time with them. And there was this one child who was an A student, very popular um, member of the first rugby team, all of that. And yet, within the group of children, he was the one who could not connect to a horse. And no matter what he did, the one horse that he wanted to be with would not engage with him, which is very strange for horses. But then they decided, the the people offering this workshop, that they were going to go through the children's bag. So they called the children in, had an inspection, and he had drugs in his bag. And he was the only one. The animals, the horses, picked it up. So just as these children are sensitive, the animals are, and there's this beautiful response and interplay between the children and nature and animals, whether it be horses, dogs, dolphins, it doesn't matter. It's just a natural progression and a natural connection between them. And nature in general. They absolutely love nature. They abhor anything or anyone that destroys that. Mm. That is why um, fracking is something that they will take up arms for Mm. to make sure that it doesn't happen. There's a lot of things going on in the world where these young people will stand up 
and make their voices heard. They are they are learners. We find that many of them are basically learners. They like to be alone. They need to have a space that is their own where they can isolate themselves. And it's quite interesting that a very large group of them will make friends at school, in junior school, and have only those, those friends going through life. They will have two or three friends from a very, very young age that they will be committed to in friendship and they will always be there for one another. They just, it just is there. It's a very natural thing. Yet, having said that, they are very popular. So they've got a lot of acquaintances. They have a lot of people who want to know them, who enjoy them. Yet, they will stick to themselves and they will only be able to functionally be within a group of people if they have alone time. Mm. And if they have the opportunity, I want to say, to recharge their batteries and be alone, which is what they prefer among uh, prefer to being in a crowd. So their loyalty to the people that they do consider their friends is absolutely unquestionable. No questions asked. One of your friends call you in the middle of the night, they will drop everything and they will go. But they are, in spite of appearing to be lo- um, loners, which they are, they are totally committed to society as a whole. And a lot of people will consider them, especially the millennials who are now older, um, will consider them antisocial and not really engaging in the world. But these young people are totally focused on creating a better world. Not just for themselves, but for everybody. They want the world to be healed. They want the world and the planet to be healed. So when you have natural disasters happening, they would be the first ones on the plains going out, trying to go and help and do rescue work wherever possible. So they are totally dedicated to the greater good of mankind, to healing their planet, to trying to heal poverty, to bring knowledge to people. This is what they are all about. But as children, we also see that they are very creative and artistic, being two very different things. Mm. All artists aren't creative and all creative people are not artistic. But they carry both, they carry these energies within them. And in doing so, they have brought great innovation to the world. New ways of thinking, new ways of being. And we see a lot of that with when we look at the millennials, where we have got Google, where we have got WhatsApp, where we have Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg is a perfect example of that. Um, Uber. All of these are things that have been designed by these young people who have such a wide open mind because of what they're wanting to do and how they are wanting to make the world better and bring knowledge, communication, openness to the world. 
A very sad thing is the fact that they have come into the world, but their parents have not just not quite adjusted. Not only have their parents not adjusted, the world in general have not adjusted. Many of these children were born with an inbred anger. They were born with an energy of anger that is quite astounding, actually. Where parents will say to me, I just don't understand why my child is so angry. There's no reason to be. And I raised a boy who was slaying dragons from the time I can recall. What I have been taught, though, is that anger is the one emotion that brings change. If I'm angry enough with myself for having created a world that I'm not happy in, only I can change it, and it normally comes from that place of anger. A lot of changes in the world that is currently taking place is taking place because of that. Because of the young people standing up saying, I'm not happy with the world as it exists, I want to change it. So they are standing up, they're making their voices heard, and they are very, very adamant in what their demands are. They're doing this because the systems that are in place at the moment are not serving us. So they need to use their anger. They need to find their passion, which lies at the heart of their anger, in order to overturn the education system as it exists. Maths, for instance, is of vital importance. We all need a level of maths in order to understand how things work in the world. But it should never be pitted against art. Children should not be told that they must accept, they must take either maths or, or they must either do one of the sciences or art. You know, there's, a, there's this kind of a polarization between your artistic children and your academic children. And that does not apply to these children. They should be allowed to develop both of these qualities. Because we are finding now that at the age of 30, 35, they are giving up up academic jobs to go into artistic fields because that is who they really are. Mm. Had they been allowed earlier in their lives to do work at school that was more balanced, they could have been financially very successful artists Mm. who had learnt to live their passion, express themselves in an accountable and business-type environment. So it's very, very important that their creativity and their artistic abilities be acknowledged and recognized. And not undermined. And not undermined, especially by parents Mm. who do not believe that there is room for them in the music industry or there is room for success in the artistic industry because those industries are so wide. You could live those gifts in so many ways. And because it is frowned upon by society, many of them are not doing it. So their anger... That passion that is sitting there and that is seething all the time to be known, to be allowed to express themselves in the way they prefer is what is 
driving this breakdown of the education system and the breakdown also of other systems in the world mm. that is not working. What is very interesting as children is that discipline is not something that works for them. I was just going to ask, how do you deal with that if you've got an indigo child and there is no discipline, but from the outside it looks like discipline is needed and that's all that's needed? What is really needed for these children is boundaries. They need boundaries. You know, and there's a very big difference between setting a boundary and setting a rule. The one thing that I have to say to you about them is that you cannot demand their respect. You command their respect. And you do that by being consistent. You do that by being ethical. You do that by honoring your word. So when you say to this child, my no is my no and my yes is my yes, you have to honor that. If there are no gray areas that they can push you and prod you and get you to give in, they will learn that they can trust you. And they will then learn that the boundaries which you set for them in terms of what other people may consider discipline creates a safe space within which they can be free. The sad thing is that, um, and specifically, and I need to say this, because there's a bit of a dichotomy here. You have fathers who believe that things should be done in a specific way, and therefore are very strict and want to confine their children to how, how things should be done. So the father wants to set these rigid rules. Um, and on the other side, you have mothers who understand these children better. And they want to compensate for the father being so rigid. Therefore, they don't really uphold the so-called rules. Mm. Whereas if the mother and the father could truly speak, understand one another, and understand through that communication who these children are, and in doing that, create boundaries. Gentle, soft, and real boundaries for their children. Their children will flourish. Because they will... One of the first things that they will take advantage of is disagreement between parents. The minute they see that if dad says no, ask mom, I can get away with it, or don't even bother asking dad, just go straight to mom, they will take advantage of that. Mm. But if they see that mom and dad's relationship is solid, I cannot play the one against the other, and their yes is their yes and their no is their no, they will feel safe and they will not need to test the boundaries all the time. So as parents, we need to give a little. We need to understand a bit more about them. We need to understand that their needs are slightly different and their needs are different for various reasons, which I will come back to. But those boundaries will, in, its, in and of itself, set a discipline within which they can operate. If I teach them by virtue of who I am to respect me, that respect will be carried out to other people as well. Because I will teach the children to respect me by respecting them. 
And that's very different to a situation where do as I tell you, not as I do. Mm. Because then there can be no respect. So that is very, very important, that we understand that true discipline in all of our lives comes from the inner power, our inner power. And if we own that power, we will inspire that self-expression um, of self-worth and inner power. We will express that in our lives and we will inspire our children to grow that and develop that within themselves. Mm-hmm. So that is very, very important. And what I have found quite interesting is so many of the teenagers who go through very difficult times because we see a lot of these teenagers saying, I don't belong. I don't want to be here. This earth is too hard and threatening to to commit suicide. Depression and suicide is very high amongst them because they feel that they are not understood, because they feel that they are not heard. I believe, and I'm talking under correction here, but I do believe that um, it has been said these children are where they are because they're not being heard. Nobody listens. We want to talk to them. We want to talk at them. But we do not listen to them with the necessary respect and the necessary time made available. And Marilyn Manson is one of the first people who, when he was asked what he would say to the children who committed those murders where his name was thrown around so recklessly, he turned around and said, I would say nothing. I would listen because nobody does. So we have a lot to learn from him, who is probably a forerunner of the Indigos and Mm. the Millennials. So that is also very important. Another thing is that is that these children are highly intelligent. And in that there is a big issue. Because they are highly intelligent, they really battle to portray this intelligence in their academic work. Because the academic work that they are being given, my own son, when he was at school, had came home with assignments about suicide amongst teachers, uh, amongst teenagers. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? Why are you wanting these children to do this? Give them assignments about music. Give them assignments about nature. Give them uplifting stuff. These are beautiful beings. Why are we doing this? So we are sitting with highly intelligent beings who have access to the internet, who have access to knowledge that the majority of us never had. So not only are they highly intelligent, they also have at their fingertips the information that they need. And when they are tested in terms of their IQ, you will very often find that their academic IQ is very average, whereas their verbal IQ is off the charts. Highly, highly intelligent beings who can hold their own in any conversation with any adult. In fact, very often they prove people wrong who will argue with them because they have the facts. 
Which is a very big problem in the business world because mm. these children walk into the business world with a lot of knowledge. They may not have the emotional maturity to know how to apply that knowledge. But because we want to put them in boxes of being young and therefore they don't know, we shut down their ability to teach us and our ability to teach them. So where we are coming out of uh, a corporate industry of hierarchical structures, these young people want to operate in a much more level, horizontal structure. Whether I bring the knowledge, you may bring the experience, but I have fresh knowledge. I have new knowledge. Let's work together as a team to develop this. It makes it very hard for the older people to accept because they want to stay in their hierarchical patterns. They want to stick to what, the, what worked for them. And they find high risks in what these young people want to implement or recommend. Yet, when they give them the opportunity, they will never look back. Mm. So it's very difficult for them because of their knowledge, because of where they see things going. They want things to happen now. Delayed gratitude does not come into play for them at all. They want to walk into a company today and preferably be the MD next month. Mm. That is not going to happen because they have a lot to learn. But by the same token, if we could just stand back and hear them, everybody would stand to win. Mm. And they would grow and our businesses and we as people would grow because we honor and accept what they have to bring. What is very interesting is that from the late 1980s to early 1990s, many of these children were born via cesarean section. And if you understand the chakra system, cesarean section comes out of, a, of this second chakra, the sacral chakra, which deals with one-on-one -on -one relationships. And that is the world that they're being born into. They're not born into a tribal world where they, their relationship with spirit, for instance, happens through a congregation or through a minister. But one-on-one, -on -one, they feel that whatever is their source, they can communicate with directly, which is entirely true. But they do not conform to the norms, to the guidelines, and to the judgments of the tribe. For them, the tribe is a place where they can go to learn. It can be a place of reference for them. But it certainly is not a place of being. Certainly, they're not going to get caught in the trappings of their tribe. They are their own people. They have their own trademark. They know who they are. And they choose to stand in that. So they will learn from the tribe. They will look at the tribe. They will measure their thoughts, their feelings against the values of the tribe. But ultimately, who they are and how they will um, express that comes from their own being. 
which is also why many of them have chosen to come from single-parent families, where a parent will have been involved. I always say it's either a, a, a womb or a sperm donor, because many of these children have no idea who their parents are. They will have a mother, and in some cases they will have a father where the mother has lived, either through death or through choice not to be in the relationship anymore. But they will have one strong parent, and then at some point later in their lives, they will connect with another person who will then afterwards possibly become a step-parent, or who will become a step-parent, and they will then connect with them. So they, they tend to draw into their lives the people they need, the people whom they need to heal issues with, um, so that they can fulfill their destiny. So they are, um, they find, because of being so strong, they have a very strong sense of who they are. They have a very strong self-esteem, and they have a very strong sense of entitlement. Because of the mothers, specifically, who want to encourage them, who tell them they can be who they are, who tell them how special they are. When we were growing up, we were told that we were good enough, we were beautiful enough, we were special enough. But by the same token, you have to work hard for everything you have. Mm. Everything had to be hard work. Nothing will just fall in your lap. Those were the things we were taught. These children were taught, you can manifest anything you want. And you are very special. You are beautiful divine beings. You can be anything you want. The problem is that very many of the parents never said, you have to choose A, what you want, and B, have to work at it. And then everything else will come together. So there is a little bit of a fallout there, that there are many of these young people who do not know who they are, where they're going, and what they want to be. But when they get to their late 20s, early 30s, all of that seems to shift and everything does seem to come together. And then a lot of things are much better. Because of their desperate need of being accepted and their need to move fast, they will always move from one thing to the next. They will take out of a situation what they can and move on to the next. And then take and move on. This happens in so many aspects of their lives. It happens in jobs. So when in the past, if you did not have a steady, if I may call it income, or a job, if you looked at your CV, you had to be with companies for five years or more to be seen as trustworthy and stable. These children or young people don't do that. They move from the one opportunity to the next. I'm here, I take what I can, I give an exchange and I move on. And that happens in a lot of instances. It also happens because many of them went and studied because their parents expected it of them. Many of them did not know who they were. They did not know where they were wanting to go and what they wanted. 
So they step into the business world and all of a sudden they find out that they're unhappy. And they have to now find out who they are. Having done that, they will move on to the next place where they can either find something else if that was not for them or develop further in what it is that they want to have. So yes, they're impatient. Very impatient. They want to be the director of the company within the first, let's be fair on them, say six months. (laughs) They want to be heard, but then they do have something to say. And if they are being ignored right now, they do not hesitate to use technology to make themselves heard. So they also know exactly how to generate money. Because money for them is something that has no value. It's literally a case of that, you know, if you love something, set it free. And with that, they don't worry about money. They will come and tell you that they want a car and it's only a 100000 when you're not even earning anywhere near what qualifies for that. But because they don't have a strong attachment to money, they draw the money. They've always got money. They always find ways of making money. And they understand that it's an exchange of energy and nothing more. The result of this is that many of them will have more than one job. So they may do either one very big job which brings them good income. Or they will have three or four smaller jobs that when added up together brings them a good income. A, because they get bored very easily. B, because they can do it. C, because they need the money. And D, because they become very bored very quickly. So a bit of diversity certainly does help. It's important not to trade on their dreams. And they have many of those. It's important to accept that Mark Zuckerberg had dreams. And look what they are today. All of these people dared to dream. And in doing that, they have brought us a beautiful world. A world that is vastly um, improved on many levels as opposed to other aspects of the world that is not. But there's more to be grateful for um, with what they have done than anything else. And we need to understand, you know, they've grown up with economical factors, they've grown up being told they have to have jobs. But there are none available. Mm. So where do they go? They go back to their parents because many of them have gone to study because their parents expected it of them. So they went and studied the first thing that came to mind. Now that they've finished, there's no jobs available. These young people have gone through tsunamis. They've gone through air raids, they have gone through HIV AIDS, they have just, they've gone through so many disasters that, you know, the mind boggles when you think of it and you see it written down on paper and you think, wow, in their short lifetimes they have been around. So it is because of that that there's such a sense of urgency. It's because of the knowledge that they have that there is such a sense of urgency. Um... So it's important that we respect and understand their judgment. It's important, not their judgment, 
their views on mm. things. It's important that we understand that we need to listen to them. We need to hear what it is they want to communicate. But it is also important that we understand our role in terms of guiding them and that we have to stand up for what is safe or not safe, what is good or not good, what is bad or not good. And we need to be able to say, it is good for you because of X, Y, Z, not because I said so. That is vital. The other thing that we see with them is that they have what what they call a shared economy. And this comes from coming out of a recession, coming out of a place of poverty, where they don't want to see people in that way anymore. But they tend to want to share cars. One will share, one will buy a car and the others will all contribute or pay the petrol or whatever. But they share their cars. They share their cars. They share homes. They will live together. And many of them, which is why they're called the boomerang generation, will go back home. Become a part of that become a part of the extended family again and live as a working part of the family. Um, For them, families are very, very important. Always has been and always will be. So, yeah, that that basically sums it up um, in the sense that we're looking at beautiful beings when looking at people who need to be sustained, who need to look after themselves in order to be in the world, who need to surround themselves with good, positive people, um, and who need to be respected. But in order to be respected, they need to set down boundaries within which these young people can operate and explore who they really are. Here we go. Any well, other questions? I think for now, that will be it. But, wow, what a mouthful and a lot to think about. And I'm sure a lot of people will gain a lot of benefit from this. So thank you once again, Estelle. Um, it's always a pleasure meeting with you and discussing with you and learning from you. So thank you for that. And just a reminder to please send us your comments, your questions for any further podcasts. We will be posting them regularly, so please go through them, have a listen, let us know. Our website address for Estelle is www.estellekoch, that is E-S-T-E-L-L-E-K-O-C-H dot com. That's www.estellekoch.com. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Penny, and to all of you at home listening to us, please feel free to communicate with us, to let us have your thoughts, and um, yes, let us know if there's anything else that you would like us to talk about.